You're listening to The Lisa Wentz Show. Thank you for being here. I'm thrilled to have you. Let's get started. Our guest interviewer today is John Barron. John is a senior teacher and teacher trainer of the Alexander Technique. He is also a voice coach to theater actors, voiceover actors, and business professionals. Prior to his career as a coach and teacher trainer, John was a successful actor working in professional theater, film, and television in London. Welcome, John. Hey, thank you, Lisa. Nice to be here. It's an honor to have you. Good. So I think it would be be nice to, to clue in the listeners a little bit to how how we got together, et cetera, how we've worked together in the past, and to to explain a little bit about about our connection f- from the early days in the Alexander Technique Training School, because I don't know if a lot of people know, but but Lisa is a fully qualified teacher of the Alexander Technique and then went on from there. So perhaps you want to um, to explain a little bit about that, Lisa. Mm. So that goes back pretty far. You know, I was first introduced to Alexander Technique in my early 20s. I was an actress and I was on stage and I lost my voice because I had a virus and because I wasn't using myself well. That was primary reason. And then the secondary part of that picture is that I had two broken discs from an accident in my teens at the bottom of my spine. So I had these two things going on. And at that point, I thought, wow, I never want to lose my voice again, ever, especially in mid-sentence, halfway through a play, (laughs) so in front of a live audience. So I had already been introduced to the technique uh, a few years back by a teacher that I saw a few times. And then I went to uh, find a teacher that would help me not only with my head-neck-back relationship, my use of myself, that would help my spine, but also to make sure that I set a really great foundation for my voice, for the health of my voice and so on. Um, and then, you know, it was it was always a thing for me, no matter what I was doing that related to theater, I was apprenticing. I was always, even in acting classes, I, I took acting classes forever and I watched the teacher teach. And later on, I figured out, you know what, I'm really meant to teach. I'm, t- I'm meant to be a coach. And the same thing happened with the technique. So eventually... I would say in my late 20s, you know, just a few years ago, um, (laughs) I I said, no, this really is something that I want to to dive into. I want to do the teacher training program. And I reached out to the Alexander Education Center in Berkeley, Mm -hmm. uh, which you were running, John. I'm sorry, what? It's a three-year training. It's it's something that's very substantial and to, to learn the skills of this work. So you spent 1,600 classroom hours mm-hmm. learning this, this whole process. Mm-hmm. I did. And I felt, uh, yeah, I felt it was really right for me. And I still feel that. Mm-hmm. I, so I spent three years in the training course. And then I went into uh, teaching in drama conservatories, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you wanted me to say about the, the training course or how it relates to my work today? Well, I think just very quickly to to see that the whole the Alexander work actually was founded because Alexander was also an actor in his day. He used to do a lot of solo performances uh, to to large theaters, and he he began this this his research, his own personal research into this work 
because he was an actor who lost his voice. So I think there are connections there to um, to what you were saying about your challenges as a theatre actress, you know, having problems vocally, et cetera, et cetera, and wanting to sort them out together with other other things that you were challenged with at the time, you know, the disc stuff, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wanted to know more, how does the voice work? How mm-hmm. do how does my functioning work? Here I am, you know, on stage performing pretty regularly back then and not knowing really how mm, the voice functions in terms of breath, resonance, articulation, in terms of posture, coordination, everything that feeds into it, right? So, yeah, so I was very interested in the technique and got quite a lot out of it. Um, yeah, and then there's the other side of the technique, which is which is the system that teaches you to identify your habits to then decide to inhibit an automatic response Mm -hmm. and maybe have a redirection, a different choice, a different option. And that's, for me, an even bigger part of the technique because that relates to everything I do in life, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And you went through this training, and then it was shortly after, I seem to remember, that you then took this big journey to go to London to work at the Central School to do the training there, which is a, a very, very thorough vocal training for actors, etc. Do you want to just quickly fill people in on that, Lisa? Yeah, I went to get a master's degree in voice and speech pedagogy at the Central School of uh, Speech and Drama, University of London, which is the epicenter for that kind of work. And yeah. the original intention was to come back and open an acting school. Because when I looked at my CV and I thought about my life, I thought, well, what do I know how to do? What can I offer the world? I know how to train actors is what I know how to do. But I know I couldn't create a business really without that additional degree, the master's degree. That's just how life is. And then (laughs) the other part was I wanted more training. I wanted deeper training. So, um, yeah, I went there. And it's, it's a rigorous program. It has changed over the years. I don't know how long it's been around. I would say the late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, it's rigorous. It was a lot of work, good work. Um, I learned quite a bit. And, yeah, I, I'm not sure what else the audience would really want to hear about that. Well, then you've got this this background in theater, in the study of voice, in the connectivity of the mind-body, et cetera, et cetera. How are you bringing that into your work today? And how is it relevant, the theater training, to the people that you're working with at the moment? Thanks for asking. So when I look at how I work and how I see communication skills training or public speaking training, and when I say public speaking of any size, mm-hmm. uh, could be a three-person audience, you know. It could be yeah. in, a, in a meeting as well. That's still public speaking, yeah. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I meant by three-person audience, right? It could be just <laughs> talking to your colleagues, doing a pitch or something. But in any case, uh, I see that there's, for me, there's three parts to the training. There's the mindset or psychological aspects, our belief system, mm-hmm. that sometimes really gets in our way or sometimes just needs to be expanded or explored. There's the physical side of the training, you know, like I was speaking about posture coordination, breath resonance, articulation, other parts of it. How do we use our body language to support deliveries and so on? And then there's delivery. There's the directorial training. So I think that my acting experience, my 10 years experience as an actor and having gone to 
gone through a lot of vocational training in San Francisco, then the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts for Shakespeare, and then the Central School. Where I use those skills most is in the public speaking um, coaching. So what I'm doing really is I'm it's knowledge transfer, right? So I'm taking the knowledge I gained and we look at, let's say somebody comes to me with a speech that they want to do or let's say it's a TED Talk, let's say it's a conference of another kind, doesn't matter. I break it up into beats and objectives just like an actor would break it up. Only I call it sections and we call it goals for each section. You know, mm -hmm. what do you want to get from the audience? What are you trying to achieve? So unlike an actor who's thinking in terms of what does my character want from this scene, what do they want to get from that other other character, um, what is their objective here, it's really much more about what is your objective with the audience? Why does the audience need to hear this information? And to get really thorough with the intellectual side of it and the emotional side of it. But what really thrills me, and I got to do this yesterday with someone, uh, one of, one of uh, my tech clients. What really thrills me is when I get to direct, like I used to direct plays, and help them cut and paste their speeches and give them more opportunity for different tones, have them explore different ways of delivering um, their content, and always bringing it back to a couple things. What I already said, what does the audience need to hear? It's about them, putting your focus on them and what you're trying to achieve with them. And also having... Um, how should I say this, a real solid presence in that intellectual understanding and then a solid emotional presence so that what you are communicating, the way you communicate it matches your content, your delivery matches your content. And that's how, and you change it as you go. And that's how we really engage an audience. That's great. Now, so you have all this experience that we, we just covered and now you're you're taking that out into the the communication skills world, etc. Which, you know, actually, I, I read a really quite interesting fact is that approximately fifty percent of people on LinkedIn are involved in some form of coaching. So we see that the let's say the the marketplace for that has a lot of people offering various services for communication, etc. How are you, with the kind of very um, strong foundation in communication and in vocal coaching, how are you actually able to distinguish yourself from the, that, that very, very large marketplace so that you don't actually get lost in it? Yeah, it's a funny thing the last few years. There, many of my colleagues have talked about this because what has happened with social media, and you and I have talked about this, is that it's not really, it used to be your credentials, right? What are your credentials? That gets you clients or that gets people at least interested in you for initial calls. And then if there's resonance between you, then maybe they become a client. But since, you know, social media has blown up over the last seven uh, several years, it really seems like the coaches that know how to use that marketplace, they know how to um, sell themselves well, they know how to really and enjoy perhaps being on social media all the time. It's the people that we see that the loudest are the ones that tend to get the most clients. When I first started, because I had so much training, so much in my background, um, and I got a couple lucky breaks with publicity, 
I really didn't have to work too hard to get clients. People were really coming to me. But since social media has really taken over and the sales funnels and the marketing has taken over so highly or so intensely in this in this area, um, it is it is different now. It's, it's, it's trickier, trickier. So how do I set myself apart, which I believe was the question? I think what ends up one of the things I've done is I created a podcast so that I could have conversations about communication skills, even though it's a pretty broad subject that I've been diving right. into, mm-hmm. um, because I want to have uh, what I want to showcase here is a deeper look. What you find when you hire a coach that doesn't have much in their background, and I'm not trying to criticize people, but let's be honest, there's a lot of people out there that will suddenly get bored or burnt out in the corporate world and want to do something and they take a couple little um, training classes and then boom, they're calling themselves the best coach on LinkedIn or something like that. They go into marketing, right? What you get is someone who's able to scratch the surface with you. That doesn't interest me. And it's interesting that we've skipped over, and it's totally okay, but we've skipped over probably the most important part of my coaching, uh, which is the the ability to help people overcome obstacles. And so that's the mindset part. That's the psychological part. And that, to me, is the most important because ultimately – you could go find somebody who's going to cut and paste your speeches and, and, and teach you body language and storytelling and that kind of thing. You will rarely find a person who can do all of that directorial work and also understand the psychological obstacles on a very deep level that people carry and how to undo them. Yeah. Well, when you think of the training that uh, an actor gets, a theater actor gets, where they have to play and know how to fill an enormous theater where they're they're able to really study their whole voice, overcome their own vocal obstacles, etc., and the connection with their their mind body, etc., to be able to 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 be able to use their voice night after night after night without losing it or damaging it. That's a, an enormous art. It takes well, it takes a long, long time to learn, as we both know, and you know many theater companies even offer you know an, an hour every day going over movement and voice etc and skills so so with that th- there is there's such amazing knowledge from that experience and i think it's the transitioning from those skills to be able to to some way connect some of it to the individual speakers that one's working with so what what are your what are your thoughts on on that? Well, a couple things. Your coach should always have much more training than you have, right? That's why you're hiring them. So it's yeah. true that I have several years of uh, training in voice and speech and acting, and I have an undergrad in psychology, and I have a lot of training in different um, modalities in that area. Yeah. But. I think that the two go hand in hand. You know, to train an actor to perform Hamlet seven times a week is different than training even a public speaker on the speaking circuit. Now, do I think they should have this similar set of skills? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, Particularly trial lawyers should because they're handling cases that are going to make or break someone's life, right? It's important that they 
really mm-hmm. know what they're doing and know how to speak and know how to use themselves well. But anyways, getting back to the two things I really want to connect here is that you cannot have a disconnect between the psychological part, the mindset, and mm-hmm. the physical training. The two go hand in hand. So it, we it's talked about all the time, right? We get nervous and all of our preparation flies out the window because we suddenly go into either a minor fight or flight or a huge fight or flight response when mm-hmm. we are nervous, when we stand up in front of people we're speaking to and that fear comes in. And so the two have to, in my experience, the two have to work together when I'm coaching. Yes. Yeah. I think that is the art of teaching, being able to adapt to the needs of the, the individual or the, the small group of people one's working with. And you know, one can't have a, a, a simplistic or a cookie cutter approach to this. It's really the the art is in the adaptability and being able to, like you say, use your 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 psychological understanding with the the needs, with the the, the speaker's vocal habits, movement habits, connections, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and find ways of encouraging them to come together so that they can they can find the confidence that is, that is needed also for themselves in their in their communication skills. Mm-hmm. My, the most important thing to me is to empower the client. Good. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. So, Lisa, you were saying before about why you were doing these podcasts, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I just had this thought. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, well, what have you learned from these podcasts so far? What, what have you got from it? Hmm. You know, there's a lot of technical things I've learned that I could share with other people who are interested in possibly doing their own podcast. Um, But I think to be on a more personal level, one of the things I learned is it came up recently when I was speaking to Caroline Goiter, who is uh, somebody who trained me in the knowledge transfer department at the Central School. And I interviewed her a a few weeks ago. And she was talking about how she's a perpetual student and how she's always studying and training her voice and trying different things. She's really the teacher of the, she said something like, I am uh, teaching what I need, you know, something like that, right? So the two go hand in hand. And she has a lovely resonant voice, great articulation, great uh, cadence to her voice. You can tell this is not a person who particularly is a nervous speaker at all. And when I was talking to her, one of the things I thought about was, you know, it's the practice what you preach. And on a very deep personal level, I think that's an area that I could improve on. That I, It's not that I don't practice what I preach at all. I warm up my voice and I do take care of myself well and things like that. I have more of a natural producer brain. Get it done. Go for it. Uh, if it should have been done, it should have been done yesterday. I have a little bit less patience. And I don't know that I'm really, I think I'm a great coach, frankly, because I can see the results and I get the feedback from my clients that I am. But I think that I'm not as still. I'm always moving very fast and, and very forward. And even the clients that I resonate with the most, I think, show that to me. They, they mirror that. I tend to get along very well with young venture capitalists, with CEOs and CTOs, and they're the same. They want the biggest bang for their buck. <laughs> Let's get through it. I want some deep, intense learning, and then I want to move on, you know? And I'm a little like that. I, I kind of think after talking to Carolyn, I thought, you know what, Lisa, 
maybe you need to practice what you preach a little bit more, slowing it down, being in the moment, being much more present. So it was great to talk to her and get that sort of more personal, reflective time. Um, Mm -hmm. I've also learned, but just on a technical level, I've learned that... um, you know, I, I learned something from each interview. You know, I learned something about linguistics from, from Deborah Tannen. I learned about the cult behavior and manipulation from Rick Allen Ross. I learned something each time from each person. And it was a great reminder during COVID is when I started this, when I was really sheltered in place, a great reminder that we are happiest when we are we are uh, learning something that interests us or we're pursuing something that interests us. And then, then I often feel with my pedagogy, I can get a little stagnant, you know. So I, I don't know if any of that really makes much sense, but because yeah. I'm really thinking it through right now. But I feel like that's the, the, my biggest takeaway so far. Nice. I think, you know, we're all a work in progress. And the whole idea can be intimidating about having to achieve a certain level or a certain standard. I mean, it's great to have aims, but how we go about achieving them is... Is, is really quite a um, quite a challenge for for many of us. But I think just just seeing that okay, yeah, well, I'm starting to realize, yeah, I might like to slow it down a little bit, etc., from time to time. And you know, and connecting to that continuous discovery makes us creative and continuously creative when we're you know we're connected to to curiosity. So the the curiosity really kind of keeps us keeps us going, keeps us alive in in the work that we do. Thank you, John. Thank you, Lisa.